What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Armchair Producers, episode 84. I am one of your hosts, Georgetown, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Travis Croft. And speaking of legends, I feel like we need to spare just a moment for Eddie Van Halen. Yes, well, that was a bit of a shock. Good evening mm. to everyone who might be watching live and to everybody who's listening later. Uh, why aren't you watching live? That's the question. Um, yeah, I was, it's just one of those years, right? It's like another 2016 where we, yeah, we lost Bowie and fucking who else, but like, um, this year we've just uh, lost some good ones. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like I was talking at, at the chemist today and just said like in the last four or five years, all the people, those kind of iconic uh, celebrities and stuff that I grew up on and inspired me to do bits and pieces or be the type of person that I am have all started dying. It's like, oh shit. Um, okay. Does that mean that I'm supposed to step up, step up and start being the inspiration for other people? <laughs> Why have you not recorded a guitar solo like eruption? That's the real question. It's true. It's true. To be honest, um, my I have not played a guitar in quite a while, so. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I was just watching um, the, for the, um, the throwback podcast that I record with my friend Susie. Oh, yes. Bill and Ted, uh, Excellent Adventure, just recently. And of course, Eddie plays an uncredited but important role in that story. You know, mm-hmm. but, but like, uh, we, you know, we need to hire Eddie Van Halen to get a, become a good band, but we need <laughs> to make a totally righteous video before we can hire Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> um, so, like, I was, I'll be honest, I wasn't. Um, I was never a massive Van Halen fan, but um, I remember how big they were when I was. Mm. They were they were massive, and I was just telling someone today actually at work. My one of my colleagues had never heard um, the story about uh, you know a hundred brown M and M's in the shot class before they go on stage. <laughs> oh, but Do you know the story though? Um, no, I, it's actually I, a very interesting story. It's like people think okay. it's like this total rock star move, like you know, and like it's become a cliche. Like it was even in Wayne's World too. Yeah, that's you where know. I know it from. Um, but um, it may not be the exact thing, but it's essentially Van Halen in their rider had something like that. They needed a hundred brown M&Ms in the shot glass, and otherwise they wouldn't go on stage. The thing <laughs> was that the, early on in their career, um, they they had quite a production. Their, their sets and stuff, um, and the uh, promoter hadn't obviously read their requirements for their setup and their stage and stuff, and the stage collapsed. Um, and yeah. people were potentially hurt. I don't think anyone was killed, but like it was, you know, not a good thing. And so, it became their tactic to see if people had actually read their stuff that they sent the promoter before the show, oh, shit. including okay. their writer which is, you know, the, what they, their backstage stuff, mm. uh, was they within that request that we had won 100 brown M&Ms in a shot glass or whatever it was. <laughs> and that was their way of determining, did they actually read our shit or not? And if they wow. didn't get their, their their shot glass of M&Ms, then obviously they hadn't read their, 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 you know, their contracts or whatever it is that they send their mm. promoter and they couldn't be sure that the stage was secure and they would, oh, yeah. Shit. So it, it became more from being, you know, like an actual, you know, very sensible kind of way of figuring things out. Yeah. To to actually becoming you know, a total rock star move, you know, like I must yeah. have this before, you know, being a prima donna. So there you wow. go. That's uh, an interesting story about the band Van Halen and, of course, Eddie was part of. Of course, yeah. 
All right. Well, um, now that we've got that over, how are you this week? Uh, just another week in paradise here in uh, the world's most livable locked down city. That's, uh, yep. The, those are definitely words to describe a situation. <laughs> you are locked down though, right? You're, ru- you're technically rural. Technically rural, yes. Like I have been able to um, go out and do a lot of the nice uh, national park trails and walks in the um, in the King Lake Ranges, which is lovely. And I am now, I think, about seventy two kilometers into my one hundred and fifty kilometer goal for October and Australian mental health. Um, I have successfully hit my um, initial goal of $500 for sponsorship. So that's really great. Thank you to everyone who has sponsored me at this point. Please, it's going to be open for more sponsorship going through the rest of October. Uh, So we should just throw as much money into this as possible. But yeah, it's otherwise, it, it just feels like for me up here, there's no point in going anywhere because everywhere's closed. I could go places, but there's nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, so my my family, the rest of my family live in the regions and they were able to go out for dinner. Yeah. Uh, the other week. So lucky bastards. I can't go more than five Ks from fucking home. <laughs> I get frustrated. You see, like, I see Americans, like, <laughs> cases are going nuts over there. Yeah. And my friend Amber, who lives in California, she can go to bars, she can go to, like, wineries and breweries and stuff. But as long as they sit outside. <laughs> <You're> yeah. Like, <laughs> and they got, like, seven cases here yesterday and they're like, well, you know, we're still not sure we're going to let you go more than 5Ks from your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, if if Donald Trump can catch COVID and understand it, you know, what what, what more does COVID, how, how can COVID stand against that, frankly? <laughs> well, we are through the looking glass, our friends in the US. Uh, yes. And, uh, to our, yeah, our, our American bot friends, you have <laughs> You are in the situation you are in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed it all uh, all gets sorted out very soon for everyone. Though. It's going to be sorted out one way or another because the election's in about a month. So, Yep, that's true. That's true. Um, no one way or the other, probably within six weeks or so. Yep. But uh, who knows? We are not here to talk politics, of course, ladies and gentlemen. I am, no, I've got something political coming up later. Well, that's just because that's you and you are the politics and the brains behind this outfit. You are also the style, the charisma and the machismo. I am just the filler of air. Um, We are going to be talking about our next chain movie, courtesy of Brad Dourif. Going on from the terrible death, uh, death machine. Death proof is good. Death machine is not. Um, we are going to a cult classic of Brad Dourif's, um, quite cult classic filled back catalog of movies to the 1988 Child's Play. Now, this was fairly recently remade, um, and they got the voice, uh, for, of Mark Hamill to play the, the doll of Chucky. He did a fairly good voice, but I feel like any mad, evil person, more often than not, it ends up kind of leaning a little bit too much into Joker. Brad DeRiff, however, he's Brad DeRiff, and he's just, he oozes insanity and brilliance in everything that he does. So let's get into it. What did you think of the original Child's Play, Travis? Um, I was kind of bored, actually. I, I thought the whole thing was kind of a bore. Um, it was certainly, I mean, certainly 
infinitely better than Death Machine. Like, it had a plot. It had a plot. It kind of made sense um, if you ignore a lot of stuff. But, like, yeah, it wasn't just a bunch of music videos tacked together with bad computer CGI. Yeah. Um, And considering the CGI from Death Machine was five or six years later than this. Yeah. uh, so and it was certainly a lot better than the other Brad Dourif film I've seen recently, being Graveyard Shift, which was awful. Um, <laughs> I, I liked that this. The first thing I liked about this film was the fact that it was eighty-seven minutes long, mm-hmm. uh, and that's about how long I think a horror film should be sticking to. I mean, doesn't need to be longer unless you're, you know, Peter Freak and you've got The Exorcist, like you know, that's fair. If, that's you, fair. if that kind of if you're that kind of filmmaker, then maybe you can pull it off. But most mm-hmm. aren't. So I think you yeah. need to get in and get out, scare the shit out of people and get out. Um, so, I mean, well, I guess uh, the, the film, for those who, oh, this is the first time I've seen it. Yeah, me I, too. I've never seen this. Film. So the plot, I think most of us get it, but mm. a single mother gives her son a much sought after doll for his birthday and you discover that it is possessed by the soul of a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like the opening to the film. Oh, we just drop straight into it. Like we drop straight into a, a police chase mm-hmm. between um, uh, uh, Brad Dourif yeah, and Brad Chris Durif, Brad Durif's, um What's his name? It's um, Charles Lee Ray, yeah. which is a great name actually for a, a serial yeah. killer. Why is um, it that serial killers and things like that are always identified with all three names? It's a thing. And same yeah. with presidential assassins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the guy who killed, shot Lincoln, whose name escapes me right now. Um, but um, he's pursued by Mike Norris, played by Chris mm-hmm. Sarandon. And of course, Brad Dourif, Charles Lee Ray. And there's a bit of a shootout. Um, that Brad Dourif breaks into a toy store, which seems like a poor idea of a place to try and escape from the police. <laughs> but, um, you know. But he is, he is mortally wounded. So he's just he's shot at that to find, find any kind of shelter, I think. Probably losing blood. He's, um, he's, uh, he's a getaway driver, takes off and leaves him behind. So mm-hmm. in his desperation, he runs into a, uh, uh, a toy store where he's shot again mm-hmm. by, um, by Mike Norris. Mm-hmm. And in the process, while he is, I guess, facing down his imminent death, he all of a sudden it turns out he knows some sort of magic incantations <laughs> and uh, notices a, a large toy doll, the, um, that he, he, he was later to be known as just a Chucky doll. What are they, good guy dolls? Good, guy. good guy dolls, yeah, because um, each one of them has their own name. It, um, do you, I didn't I caught didn't I didn't notice that one, but um, that was in the advert, would... Travis. I can't believe you didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, so he performs some incantations over this doll, and bada bing, bada boom, he soul inhabits this uh, doll uh, as the uh, toy store is uh, blown up by lightning, which was mm-hmm. a, a nifty trick. Uh, which and I one of possibly the most used rolling violent looking clouds over a location ever uh, yeah I it mean, looks almost a... like exactly the same rolling clouds that was used for the ending of ghostbusters i was thinking exactly the same thing as like that, that's where they ripped those clouds from it's probably a reused special effect from somewhere yeah. i think i know how they did it they do that in water and they put like ink in the water yeah somewhere. yeah um, but yeah i noticed the cl- maybe cloud effects look like they've been i've seen them a few times it's sort of the um Wilhelm scream of clouds. <laughs> yeah, um, That's exactly where I was going. Um, so I've always enjoyed the fact that, like, lightning, like, blew, like, it hit a 
a pile of toys and exploded. Yeah. And what the fuck was in those toys? Well, to be honest, this is the 80s. So, you know, health and safety in children's toys was, you know, that kind of era was infamous for a lot of toys being uh, recalled because they were dangerous. So who knows? You know, there might have been a bit of plutonium in those. Um, <laughs> it could have been plutonium. It could have been smuggling plutonium. Even yeah. though that's not how plutonium works. <laughs> you just hit it with lightning and they explode. Um, that much I know about nuclear physics um but anyway maybe it was some other form of explosive um yeah. <laughs> explode. lithium batteries man oh you know they actually do explode um yeah. so um i love the fact that like these to- pilot toys explodes mm-hmm. it was a massive explosion that blows out the front of a shop yeah and like and then like mike gets he was like right next to this explosion and gets up and like brushes himself off with like it's that moment of arnie getting out of the tar pit and just wiping himself down in the last action hero or something you know like (laughs) he brushes himself off like oh gee that was a giant explosion and like i just happened to walk you know i was lucky there (laughs) none the worse for wear um so it was i enjoyed that um Mm -hmm. that part immensely actually uh and then it really really slows down from there we meet um andy and his mother um karen uh andy played by alex vincent who's not really done a whole lot else and mm-hmm. karen karen barclay played by katherine hicks who we talked a little about last week for me the face was instantly recognizable as um jillian from star trek 4 terrible movie and she was in seventh heaven as well for a long time now but i now that i think of it so if you ever watched that awful tv show um she was in that so for me your face in yes. this and uh, she works in retail, so you'll feel her pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and her kid is obsessed with this, uh, the, I guess it's a TV show, a cartoon, yeah. um, called The Good Guys. And uh, he has the Good Guys cereal. He gets for his birthday, he gets the Good Guys toolbox. Mm-hmm. And he, he really he, wants to He's the, wearing the Good Guys pajamas. Is It's stereotypical it, obsessed child of a toy. And he wants to jump. They released a giant doll version, mm-hmm. and he wants it. His mum can't afford it, but... So so happens there's a pet a peddler a peddler mm-hmm. I think they call him yeah a guy in a shopping trolley who's selling it at the back of uh, selling it as a shit at the back of her shop yep she, she works in and she ducks out and she buys it for significantly less than she mm. would from the uh, from a toy store it just so happens it's the same good guy doll that mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that Charles Lee Ray has um, has uh, uh, what do you call him adopted as his new vessel. Not that we, we don't know that at that point, though. We do, but we don't. I mean, there's no, there's no indication at that point. I'm in a film. There's no like a sign on it going. Uh, it's not like like much warning. Doll carries a terrible curse. We <laughs> <laughs> <I> promise. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> that that but, but, contain potassium benzoate. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so you know, it's not quite that clear, um, but. You know, it's we all realize that that is the same. Doll. Yeah, yeah. It would be a weird story if it was just two completely unrelated stories of just we just see um, this possessed doll never again, and it just so happens to be a completely different doll that's just co- gone crazy or something. <laughs> uh, it'd be great if like the only indication we got of a possessed doll was like in the background on the TV in news reports or something like that. <laughs> it'd be a very uneventful film. Um, Mommy, I want that doll. <laughs> so um, the doll comes into their life, and in it, it, now that it's been possessed by mm. by uh, Brad Dourif's Charles Lee Ray, it can actually move, it can talk, 
initially it just talks to Andy, mm-hmm. but eventually he is um it actually uh manages to kill his babysitter by well, knocking her out of a window is probably one way to put it. Yeah, because it I I I'm pretty sure that he used one of these aforementioned Chucky uh, uh good guys tool sets, a hammer for that, and you think, okay, sure, that's a that's a kid's toy. That's gonna be plastic. But uh it's a, it was the eighties, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> so like, ah, a regular hammer. Yeah, it's just a sacred child. Iron hammer. Yeah, no worries. What are they gonna do with it? Because it, it looks like it does a right good because it hits just above her eye and it hits with such ferocity that she just over the top stumbles backwards and just goes headlong out of the window of this sixth floor apartment and then just hits the parked car underneath that was good i did did that really well that was Um, good but wow i mean it was a good kill i mean if if, um in terms of i felt like the it was horrifying Yep. And she seemed like, and it was, I felt it was effective because she was a fairly, the film hadn't really given us a lot of violence at that point in time. Like, True. yes, there had to be a giant explosion, which, you know, Chris, Mark, no, Mark, whatever the guy's name is, Chris Serena walked away from brushing his arms off. But like, yeah. it hadn't been any great interpersonal violence pretty committed at that point in time. But yes, yeah. the, the method of getting her knocked out the window was significantly amusing in the sense he, I mean, the doll managed to propel a yeah. small hammer large enough to knock her back half a meter and out a window Easy. yeah that's like that's a that's a powerful throw for a small plastic doll and that was sort of yeah. probably, i mean part of the thing that um i didn't buy into quite so much here is the doll mm. just didn't look very convincingly menacing which i think is part of a, the fun right it's like yeah that you're being menaced by something that is not menacing in, in, mm. in of itself like you're being menaced by a werewolf and they're you're scary probably gonna be scared yeah but like a tiny kid's toy i'm like why would that be scary it's, it's, i mean <laughs> But it just, I mean, like, I look at it, and maybe you might, this is why I was saying, because I was a bit bored, mm. saying, how does a toy that's filled with stuffing produce enough energy and enough effort to... Ah, wait, may, maybe you missed this. Um, He was becoming human. Becoming human. He's just becoming yeah. human. But, like, mm. he'd been a, a, a human. I mean, it, that seemed to, that, that, that um, how human he was becoming and mm. wherever human was coming in seemed to move significantly depending on what the story needed to do of course because yeah. um, you're I, right so it was uh, one thing i say so i'll I, i'll say i was just sort of mm. touched on it is i was very impressed by the effects in this film agreed, uh, agreed. The creature effects in particular are brilliant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that's where it really stands out is that juxtaposition of that innocuous doll and it's Maybe it's lost a lot of the, um, its kind of chill factor because I remember when toys were able to respond. I remember getting a, ch- a toy like that when I was a kid and so like you'd say something to it and it would kind of interact with you just like three or five sentences. But it was that was mind blowing. But now it's like, OK, I want my computer to be able to do everything for me just with my voice. And if it can't do that, then it's from the dark ages. So it's the the i feel like the age has really done this movie a disservice because if i had been a child and seen this movie i would be i would have been terrified i have actually spoken to a few people who were allowed to see this film at at you know seven or eight and like mm. 
were petrified and like it mm. scarred them for life. So I can definitely see this being actually very effectively chilling for a younger audience. Mm. Um, yeah, you're right. It's um, I'm glad I didn't see this as a kid. Yeah, I I was one of those people. I always had lots of like toys and uh, teddy bears and figures and dolls and things like that, action man and stuff like that. And seeing something like this and then just looking around my room, I would have not slept because it's like, nope, they're all fucking going there, going in the fire. (laughs) Every single one of them. I do not trust any single one of them because of the shit that I have made them do. Nope, nope, they will not forgive me. Death to them. <laughs> and I think maybe that's kind of part <laughs> of the, way, part of the be... problem is that... Mm. No, go on. No, I was going to say, one of the things I had in mind while I was watching this was that um, uh, this is a very dark version of Toy Story, isn't it? The, uh, the Toy Story sequels are really kind of like, you know, weird tangent. Um, <laughs> kind of, well, it's kind of like, it's a, it kind of is a very similar... Yeah. Uh, story to to that um both by the um by the Toy Story films. Yeah, I I kind of feel like if um if they the the remake that they made was okay, not great. Um, it was a very generic remake of a beloved cult classic. If they were to do something like if they got like the creative people behind Sausage Party, um to remake this as like an adult animated horror bastardization of toy story it would be fucking brilliant because i think that the premise um and the kind of that uh, cgi ideology of oh animated movies are for kids but then you show them something just absolutely not not child like sausage party about every single fucking thing is sexual innuendo and just balls out disgusting. If they did that with a horror movie, they would probably be able to skirt and balance that level of comedy with it way more. I feel like that could work really, really well, but I feel like this is a product of a time and a style of cinema that just doesn't work anymore because looking back on it and thinking about it now, it's not actually much death. No, it's not. I mean, it's actually not a particularly violent film in a lot of yeah. ways. So we see the death of a babysitter. We see the death of um, the uh, the accomplice from the start of a film. We see the death of one yeah. of the uh, doctors who's looking after Andy at one point in time. Um, and, I, yep. and the doll, I guess. Oh, sorry. And the, uh, the voodoo guy who he was friends with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so four. Five if you count the doll. Yeah. Yeah, and and the guy at the start, so yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's actually not in a lot of ways that violent. Um, mm. But as I said, for me, I was actually very pleased with. I, I, I mean, again, to say we sort of said earlier, but Death Machine's effects were abysmal mm-hmm. last week, and this is six years earlier, mm-hmm. um, and I would argue a significantly d- d- more difficult challenge to make yeah. a a child's toy. But uh, and so it really does look like one of those dolls that were popular at the time. You said. Toys yeah. to talk back to you, like um, Teddy Ruxpin, or later on yeah. the Furbies. You know, like yeah. um, it looked like what one of those would look like. It would really look like a kid's toy. But the way they managed to do the effects, when it would turn its head, its eyes, and start talking, or yeah. its its facial expressions, were really well done. Like it really walked. Actually, I think they maybe did this deliberately. They walked right into the uncanny valley. Yeah, it was yeah. like it's real, but not quite real enough, and it's actually really fucking creepy. Just. As its toy self, it's really fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, so 
I was like for such a low budget sort of film. I don't know what they what its budget was, but I I'll look into it. I don't I don't imagine it, this was a here we go, budget of nine million um, in the eighties. I, I don't think that was even a high budget, particularly it's a pretty reasonably low budget back mm. in the, the late eighties um, to have actually pull off those effects. Really super impressive, and maybe that's again because I was a bit bored. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, "Gee, if the effects are very good, right? The voice work was wonderful." Yes, absolutely. You mentioned at the start, he sort of really became synonymous with the voice of Chucky. Yeah, absolutely. And that you know, as as I said last week, that this spawned so many sequels and off offshoots, like Bride of Chucky and all of that stuff. It became almost like the the crown king of b-movie serialized films um and now it's just last year it had a a remake and they tried to update it and it was not bad not particularly scary though it's it seems to be very hard to make a scary movie these days without it going into that whole kind of torture porn saw kind of thing place a few years ago i never saw paranormal activity but i know a lot of people liked that it was very popular Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some good ones. I mean, there was uh, It Follows was very good. True. Uh, I true. enjoyed Hereditary. I enjoyed um, oh, what was that one that came out last year with Florence Pugh in it that everybody hated? Um, Midsummer. Midsummer, which I thought was mm, horror. I don't know, but I liked it. Um, Chilling, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I think you do. You, I don't think. Yeah, mm. it's played with a straight bat like this, where like creepy thing goes around killing people slasher film is what this really is yeah it's not really scary it's it, unless you're not a child as long as you're not yeah. a child, I, say. <laughs> I i th- i think that if this movie had gone a bit more on the adult violent comedy side i think it would be better for his prime example is when mike is in his car he's driving away and then chucky starts trying to uh, stab him with the knife it's just ridiculous but it's played so seriously it's like no i should be laughing my ass off at this i should be laughing I my ass too. It's like i kind of wondered if like I, I found myself watching it and just reading the uh the trivia on imdb i suspect i'm mm. right that this was not written as a straight horror film yeah i think this was maybe written as something a little bit more like what scream ended up being yeah uh a horror parody film in a way like maybe not maybe not necessarily parodying well, definitely parodying horror because, like, there were scenes in this were ripped straight from the um, The Shining. I don't know if you've seen where he's oh, stabbing yeah. through the door, right? Like that was pure Shining. Um, yeah. So, you know, this was, I think this is originally supposed to be a horror parody film. Mm. Um, a lot more play for laughs. Yeah. Um, I suspect someone's picked this script up and gone. Actually, I think we can make more playing this one straight. Mm. Now, yeah. I don't know that. I just uh, you know, there's some yeah. hints in here that from people saying it. But if you were going to write a saying, I need fifty percent of his script is still on the screen. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, the films became, as you sort of said, it became a a phenomenon all of its own. So obviously, mm-hmm. it was the right call to make because it really struck a chord with people. Yeah. Uh, you know what uh, movie series or, or style of movie series this should have gone for? Gremlins. Well, that was very similar in a way, in the sense it was yeah. a comedy horror film, and they were exactly they around like that back then. Yeah, but it's still kind of those those Gremlins were really disgusting creepy and they there were some really brutal deaths in there but they were also played for the laughs i mean they killed someone with a chair master <laughs> it, was, it was great but it was also kind of creepy yeah i mean, I, w- I would wonder if a film like that had kind of inspired this i mean that was basically yeah. a children's horror 
film comedy. Like, yeah, I remember feeling like that was being marketed to me as a young kid at the time. Yeah, um, though it, it probably really shouldn't have been. Um, yeah, I, I am. Um, <laughs> everything is, is reminding me of. As you sort of said, um, Chucky went on to be such a, a franchise in of itself. Was that Chucky actually made an appearance on WCW wrestling at one point in time? Oh, um, no. Involving in a, getting into an argument with Rick Steiner. Uh, <laughs> so it's actually one of the um, one of the noted lowlights in the history of WCW. Was um, uh, it was, was a couple of them. One of them being well, the, when David Arquette won WCW World Title after yep. the movie came out, ready to rumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the occasion when RoboCop saved Sting. Um, yes, RoboCop. <laughs> Um, and, and then there was the occasion where Rick Steiner got into an argument with Chucky. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been a sports brand that has sold out more than WCW in the late eighties and nineties. <laughs> yeah, they were they were for sale. If you um, if you had the yeah, coin, they were. Right? Like, I mean, yeah, they were. Oh, yeah, it's me. It, uh, so I don't. It's worth looking up. It's on YouTube, uh, so you can find it on YouTube. It's worth a look because it's very, if you, especially if you like professional wrestling, it's kind of cringe, cringe plastic, <laughs> right? You kind of like, <laughs> why? How much did they have to pay Rick Steiner to do it? But you know, it's, it's a long way from from this movie for it to him arguing with Rick Steiner on WCW. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I, I guess like I said I, I feel like I've said quite a lot of positive things about this, but hmm. um, it. it Overall, like I was pretty underwhelmed by the whole thing. As a, there's not much to it. There's not much violence. There's no scares. It's mm-hmm. not really played for laughs, as you said. That scene mm-hmm. when the, the car and the stabby stabby in the car could have been should have been a laugh, you know. Yeah. But it really was just because because it, it wasn't playing it for laughs. If I felt a film was playing a straight bat the whole time, yeah, that felt kind of silly. And I'm like, why am I getting silly in my straight ahead horror film? Yeah. Um, and, you know, occasionally you can pull off one or two of those sort of notes. I think there was a, a Jason film set in space, Jason X. Jason probably. X, yeah. This is a masterpiece in terrible film. Yeah. Um, where he, it, Jason ends up in a um, virtual reality simulation, and there are two girls in bikinis there. He goes, how about, would you like to smoke some weed? How about some premarital sex? We love premarital sex. <laughs> but that whole scene, he ends up trying to kill them, like, in his traditional way. But, like... That whole scene was played for laughs, in, and that oh, kind of made sense. No. What was a genuinely awful film, but that kind of worked because it was kind of actually amusing and it kind of a wink at the audience. But yeah, uh, this you know, I, I, it, it, maybe it sounds silly me picking the one scene from a genuinely awful film that <laughs> works. You know, something like that might have worked in this film, but I don't know. It just didn't. I was the film was telling me don't laugh at this. Yeah, it yeah, really and- silly. It's that's the weird thing. Like the, uh, a few a few ep- um, shows now, we've we've watched some stuff and we've kind of said things just happen. There's not actually a lot of things that happen in this movie, and there's nothing in it that's bad. It's just nothing. It's kind of empty calories, I guess, because like it's supposed to be really scary that Mike, who is kind of I guess supposed to be the hero or the the hero figure the traditional hero figure he's being attacked by with a knife in this enclosed space but it doesn't come off as scary 
it doesn't come off as serious. It comes off as as stupid and out of context with the rest of the film. Um, the they sort of go, oh, okay, yes. So we're going to start off with Brad Dourif, um putting his soul into um, a, a Chucky doll. Okay. Hmm. And then they get like three quarters of the way through the movie and go, you know what? We might need to explain that. And it just so happens that Charles Ray, whatever his name is, had a friend that's apparently Haitian and a voodoo practitioner, and they happened to talk about how to transfer a soul. And he memorized it and could remember it under the stress of having just been shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's stupid. And the the kind of the stupid rule of okay, you need to um, in the heart. You need to transfer your soul into the person ah, you first yeah. revealed yourself to. It's like what? <laughs> Seriously, what? They probably they, they probably should have taken the um night of a living dead approach. You know, in night of a living dead, they never tell you why they're zombies. Yeah, they're just zombies. Just yep, uh, and. It, who cares, right? They're zombies and they do what zombies do. So maybe if they could have got away with that in this film, it's just going, he just did. Yep. I mean, they never explain how or why Tom Hanks becomes big in big, and we just accept that that happened. It's fine. It, it happens a lot in cinema where something just happens because we want to tell a crazy story. You don't need to explain it. And oftentimes when you do explain it, you ruin it. So being kind of because if it's you need a kind of a ridiculous explanation there and, and to explain how a soul of a human can occupy a toy. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you go, voodoo, that'll do it. I mean yep. um that wouldn't fly today, actually. I'd suggest that would be um that would be like a like cancel culture would come in here. You can't I don't think the voodoo people are too keen on people making fun of their religion like that. Yeah. And I guess that they'd use it use voodoo as an inspiration but they'd never they'd never say the word voodoo they would say dark arts something like that but um yeah it's it's a it's a weird movie to go back to because there's the concept of it and the the premise behind it is kind of cool brad duriff is great um there's no performances in it that are particularly bad um but pretty much all of them are not fleshed out in any way, shape or form. Like, um, little, uh, the little kid, what's his name? Uh, Andy. Yeah. Andy. He's sort of like, okay, generic young child. It's not really much going on here. Um, maybe if they had kind of introduced him as a bit of a liar beforehand or as a storyteller maybe it would have been made a bit more sense that um the auntie who dies at the start doesn't believe him because he's got a bit of a history you know the boy who cried wolf kind of thing going on but they don't do that he's just this sweet innocent boy that loves his doll and is always telling the truth but no one believes him because parents (laughs) and he writes his name on the bottom of his doll's foot and (laughs) so what are these footprints why is the n backwards Now that I would pay to see. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that would be great if someone did a deep fake of Charles Play but put it put Woody, Woody. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Somebody put a snake in my boots. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, there was what was it? There was there was a quote. Um, Chucky's um, Chucky's last uh, not Chucky Andy's last line before he sets the doll on fire. Uh, this is the end, my friend, or something like yeah. that. Right? This is the end, friend. It just drops it in. It's like, holy shit, where was that badass yeah, that kid was, all this time? That was, that was up there. It was a yippee ki yay motherfucker yeah, right there. It really was. It's so nuts, but you know what? Fine. Okay, they ended on, they ended with a blast. <laughs> kind of literally, um, but you know. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think this is maybe a film you need to have seen as a kid. Mm. if you really get the um to really get the full effect of it i think uh if you scared the pants off you as a child yeah then then that might be well be very fondly remembered um i not so much for me i was i was a struggling to stay engaged in this one um i wonder if i got any better uh i'm curious about that i'm kind of tempted to see how far down the, the right, child's right, play okay. rabbit hole I can go. <laughs> but not right now. No. <laughs> not right now. No. Now we are continuing our chain movies, and this movie was um, directed by Tom Holland. And uh, it's my turn to pick this one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. No, no worry. I, I, I'm going to look after you this week. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I feel a, a, a strong desire mm-hmm. to to make up for um <laughs> yeah, death machine, machine. <laughs> that was that was that hurt me that really sucked a lot of energy out of me yep um i'd say it, that was five heigels out of seven absolutely <laughs> it, i wouldn't you would have had to spin the wheel of heigel and uh play connect sure to really make up for that one <laughs> um but i'm gonna look after you all this week i'm gonna look after mm-hmm. George, after me again and self-care is go- is going away from um, uh, the kind of things that uh, I could have done with Death Machine, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to follow the, our good friend here, Chris Sarandon. Okay, are you taking us to the Princess Bride? I'm not taking us to the Princess Bride. Okay, where are you uh, taking us? I suspect us? they're going to have to watch that soon for the throwback. Um, okay. You know, I'm going to follow, and plus, it is a still the spooky month. Spooky, mm-hmm. spooky time. So we, we're we're going to stick to kind of that theme, and mm-hmm. we are going to follow Chris Sarandon to 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, he voices, of course, Jack Skellington. Yeah, he does. Oh, thank you. So thank this is the, for those who aren't. Well, if you aren't familiar with it, what have you been doing your whole life? This yeah, is stop motion. Um, Tim Burton written but not directed mm-hmm. um, uh, Christmas slash Halloween classic yep it's 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 it is th- it this this and Die Hard are the two movies that there are very much two camps on they are Christmas movies or they are not Christmas movies and personally I think they are both Christmas movies <laughs> Yes, well, there's an argument that you said they don't mention Christmas enough in uh, Die Hard to qualify, but... It happens at Christmas! It's a Christmas party! I'm happy to... I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> it's like one of the arguments against it. I'm, I'm quite good to call it a Christmas... I went and saw it uh, in December last year at IMAX. Nice. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing that this year. No, 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 not much, no. But, yeah, that is a, a very good choice. A very, very good choice. And it leaves George plenty of options. Afterwards. Yes, one hundred. It's Tim Burton, right? So I mean, you can go Tim Burton if you want to go easy. 
there's plenty of other people involved in the film who've done lots of other stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you got lots of ways out of that one. Yep. I could I could take us a weird route and just go follow Paul Rubens. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, did he do any other scary movies? I don't know if he did, or any horror films or anything like that. Uh, some some might say that Pee Wee Herman movies are terrifying. Uh, the first one was good. Um, <laughs> you could follow Catherine O'Hara to... Um, uh, Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or Tim Burton or her. You know, yeah, yeah. There's there's um, plenty of options. There's I will, there are many I will ways you can go over with some very experienced and well-known uh, actors in that film. So yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it again because it's been a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, moving on, Travis, do you want to talk about what you've been watching? Yeah, so I actually had a little bit of spare time this week to actually mm-hmm. watch something other than, than our film and the films that have to watch for the other two podcasts. Um, so this week I actually sat down and watched the Comey Rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who are unfamiliar with the the, the concept, um, it is a uh, a limited or mini series, I guess, mm-hmm. um, a mini series of two episodes based on the the book by James Comey, A Higher Loyalty. If you don't know who James Comey is, James mm-hmm. Comey was the former director of the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the director of the FBI during the 2016 U.S. federal election mm-hmm. um, and prior to that uh, had conducted the investigation into Hillary Clinton and all her email bizzo, which mm-hmm. seems like ancient history now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the election again had to announce he was running a new investigation based on new evidence they uncovered at that point in time. Mm-hmm. There was a point of view around the place at the time that that may have swung the election in the way of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So at one point in time, he was a very unpopular figure with anybody who was not a fan of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was later fired by Donald Trump shortly into his, um, shortly into his presidency, um, at which point he, um, he came out and spoke about some of their dealings together and, mm-hmm. And wrote this book and gave um, evidence at, before Congress, which he then became significantly more popular with the Donald, the Donald Trump fans. So mm-hmm. the old my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So mm-hmm. that's the idea. That's James Comey's story. So he's had he had a very eventful few years. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, uh, the Comey rule is, as I said, two episodes. Mm-hmm. They run can, can, together, run for over three and a half hours. Okay. Um, so the first one's about 90 minutes. The second episode's about two hours. So they're very, it's why I don't have a lot to talk about. It's, it's three and a half hours of stuff. Yeah. And like, it's heavy watching. Yeah. Um, uh, now, James Comey is played by uh, the great Jeff Daniels, mm-hmm. who, um, if you don't know Jeff Daniels, Jeff best known, he played Harry in Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was in um, the newsroom. He played Will McAvoy, which is a show I absolutely mm-hmm. loved. He was in Steve mm-hmm. Jobs. He was in The Martian. You'll know his face. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump is played by... Um, Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson, the Irish actor. Um, and it's actually a really great performance. It's okay. a two central, uh, so our two central performances here are wonderful. There's mm-hmm. a fantastic supporting cast. We have Holly Hunter, Scoot McNary, um, who was in um, Superman Dawn of Justice. He was in Halt and Catch Fire. Again, oh, yeah. Look at his face. You'll know who he is. He's mm-hmm. in stuff. Uh, Jonathan Banks, who played Mike in Breaking Bad. Um, Una Chaplin, who's in stuff. Uh, it's it's a really, really solid mm. supporting cast around them. 
Um, I guess the one thing to sort of start with on this is it's um, I suspect whether you like or dislike this show Mm. is going to depend very much on where you sit politically. Mm. Uh, If you are a fan of Donald Trump and think he is unfairly treated by the media and Hollywood and, Mm-hmm. You know, he's unfairly maligned by people who disagree with the work he's doing and yada yada, whatever it is that fucking Trump tards think. I don't understand how I don't understand their, their way of thinking. But if they, if you think that people are out to get him and he's doing a wonderful job, you're probably not going to like this very much. Okay. Um, I think it's fair to say the guy who Donald Trump fired, who then wrote a book about it, um, mm-hmm. You know, he's probably not going to have a whole lot of really positive things to say about the dude who fired him. You know, I'm writing um, this book because he was absolutely right to fire me, and here's all of my mistakes. Exactly. That's <laughs> not what the book's going to be about, and it is based on his book. So join the dots there. It's not going to be a flattering portrayal mm. of, of Trump by the guy he fired. So you probably know straight away that this is not going to be for you if you are a fan of Donald Trump. Mm. Now, if you do sit down and watch it with an open mind, um. I think it might be an interesting experience, but uh, again, people in the Trump cult probably not, not best known mm-hmm. being open about it, um, about about things. So th- that needs to be said. This is uh, I wouldn't say it's partisan. I'm just saying it's very critical of Trump, um, mm. and I think it all comes down to its source material being written by someone who wasn't a big fan of his. Yeah, um, it, it is also very sympathetic to James Comey. So if you are not a fan of what he did. Um, particularly if you you do feel like his actions in the 2016 election were 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 not right, and there's a school of thought out there that says he shouldn't have said anything about mm. that, that that any a new because they um about they started the new investigation like two weeks out from the election, mm. uh, and they actually ended up finding nothing. There was no nothing to find. Yeah. So um, there was a point of view that he should have kept his mouth shut until they had something to report. Yeah. Um, and he didn't. He disagreed, obviously. Um, so you know, if you if you're a if you're in that camp of people who think Comey should have just shut his mouth and done nothing, you're probably not going to find a lot of solace here either. With him going, yeah, kind of fucked that up. Um, it, it's more <laughs> like I think he would describe it as his Kobayashi Maru. Okay, yeah, he was in a no-win situation, mm. uh, and unfortunately, he couldn't change the rules of the. Uh, of the engagement in the sense mm. that, you know, um, you know, if he, if he didn't come out and say something and they did turn something up, then Hillary could have been impeached before she even took office kind of thing. Like then, yeah. you know, like the, the Republicans could have been howling him down and it would have seemed, made it seem like her presidency was, he was somehow, the FBI was kind of like partisan and helping her get elected and, yeah. You know, it would it would would have put a put a giant hole in the side of her presidency before she was even president, really. Um, and obviously, the flip side is what we actually saw was him coming out and announcing an investigation, not finding anything, and yet, you know, from a certain point of view, helping to get um, you know, Donald Trump elected. Yeah, which you know, in theory, them being an apolitical organization shouldn't have really made a big difference, but obviously, it did in the end to him. Um, one of the interesting angles here is that we actually, it's not just all him at work. Um, one angle that I found quite fascinating was um, it wasn't just the pressure coming down on him from his colleagues going, you have to say something, you have to write, yada, 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 you know, the, 
that kind of professional pressure, there was also a great deal of personal pressure coming from his family. Okay. We have significant um, time spent with his um, his family, his wife, um, played by Jennifer Eel, Ely, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Jennifer Eel. Eel. Wonderful actress. Um, yes. She was great in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, so you'll see her, you'll know her, she's in stuff, you'll know her face. Mm-hmm. And his daughters, who are vehemently against Trump being elected and horrified at the concept of him being elected mm. and kind of want him to do whatever he can to stop that happening. And they're like, you're horrified at the concept that he, you know, does not actually want to even consider that being a, what do you call it, a factor in, in mm. his decision making. So he has significant pressure on his, you know, um, on his family and the fact that he's going to be, um, you know, vilified in the press. Um, and his family has to put up with that. So that that I thought was a, an interesting addition to the story. And again, if you're not a fan of Comey, you might look at that and go, "That's kind of humanizing him a bit. It's kind of mm. um, you know softening his image a little bit." Going, well, you know, here's all the things he had to think about. You know, mm. um, I think it actually does. He comes out of it in if one is to take the show on face value as mm. being the truth, he comes out of it actually looking pretty good in the sense that he was a highly principled man who felt like, you know, his main consideration at every juncture was not, do I do this? Do I want Trump to get elected? Do I, you know, nothing political. It was like, what is my duty here? What is the right thing to do at this point in time? What And then made the decision based on that sort of, that question, mm-hmm. you, know, as, you know, as opposed to any kind of personal or professional interest he might have had in a result of his decision-making. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the acting is of the highest possible order, as I sort of said. Mm. Um, Jeff Daniels is one of my favourite actors going around. I wish he got more work in film. He's not exactly a leading man, but maybe he should be. Uh, he's outstanding as James Comey. Though he was on TV a lot back in he doesn't look anything like him. So sometimes it's a little bit like, eh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he's still very good. Like I said, the supporting cast is amazing. Um, they have a real interesting performance that probably most people want to find out about is Brendan Gleeson as Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's. I think this is the first of many Donald Trump films that are going to be made, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if he wins next week, next month, if he loses next month, it just it just tells us when the film's going to be made, right? If Pretty he much, loses yeah. and he actually leaves office. Um, <laughs> the films are going to be coming in thick and fast next year, right? Like they're going to be making films about. Because, I mean, let's face it, like, this guy is as dirty as dirty can be. Like, he is as corrupt as anybody who's ever held that office. Yeah, so, and he's very vehemently made an enemy of most of Hollywood, considering Hollywood largely is very democratic, very, very vocal about it as well. Yeah, not they are going to want to sink their teeth in. I think he's also made enemies of a great deal of the intelligence community in that country. So mm-hmm. um, what I was going to say is that my opinion, and it is just an opinion, is that he, when he leaves office, one of the main reasons Trump will fight so hard to leave, not leave office is he's fucked when he leaves office. Yeah. He is fucking cooked. Like, he has broken so many laws. Um, like, he, the whole locker up, locker up thing that they did last time, it's going to be a real creepy, a really funny sort of turn the tables thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be in court cases for a number of years after he leaves office. That's at the very least. 
yeah, will be in court. Whether he gets arrested and locked up is a different story. Mm-hmm. So that's just an opinion. I don't know anything, but you know, I, I think he's pretty crooked. You mean you don't have the inside track of what's happening in the U.S. presidency uh, right now? I know. I'm no. Unfortunately, I, even if I could tell you, I, I could have to kill you. Uh, um, fair enough. So I think you know he's so the Trump story is not over, right? Of him leaving mm-hmm. office. I mean, yeah. if he leaves office peacefully, it'll be remarkable. Uh, if assuming he loses, because he could very well win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when he leaves office, the story isn't over. Mm. So, I mean, it's going to be like, they're going to be making stories about this, his presidency and what comes next mm. for a very long time to come. So I think yeah. Brennan Gleeson sort of said, I think this is maybe the first really notable Trump performance. Mm. Uh, and initially you kind of a little bit like, it's hard for someone to play Trump and it not come off as parody mm. because he's such an over the top character. Yeah. Um, and you sort of initially thinking of um, yeah, Alec Baldwin's impersonation of Absolutely. him. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but the longer it goes, you start to initially you're like, oh, that's Brennan Gleeson with a wig on, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and eventually you slowly start, the more you time you spend with his, his version of Trump, you, you really just disappear, he just disappears mm-hmm. into him and you start to forget that that's Brennan Gleeson in a wig and fake tan. <laughs> and it, you almost like the things he says, and like you know, you got yeah, I 100% believe Trump would have said that in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and here it's it's a really remarkable um, performance, okay. and he really inhabits the character of Trump to a point where I was like, it kind of really stuck with me for the next couple of days. And obviously, it's been a pretty busy week for Trump news um, for various reasons, along with this. But um, I found myself thinking back, going, it was I kind of wanted to. Delouse after spending some time with, mm. with Brennan Gleason's Donald Trump character. So um, I think if you're anything like me, but may stick with it after the first five minutes, I think you'll get there. And like, uh, I think it's it's a wonderful performance. And okay. what an interesting choice. Apparently, they really went hard to get Gleason to put, to do this role. Initially, mm. said no because he didn't want Donald Trump tweeting about him. Apparently, that's it. He didn't want to cop shit, which is fair enough, right? Because he's got. He's got an army of fuckwits more than willing to go out there and and, and make your life up. Yeah. Um, so I think he um, initially held off from doing it, but like he was the guy that I wanted to play Trump, and I'm like, wow! I never looked at Brennan Gleeson and gone, "You're making interesting Trump." But now you're like, yeah, that works. Yeah. Well, he's he's a he's a brilliantly talented actor, and you know, I think it takes the the fact that you you've said that he kind of disappears and you just accept him as Trump. It's a t- real testament to that because, as you say, Donald Trump is a larger-than-life caricature every single day. So to make that something that isn't literally the purpose of a joke, like Alec Baldwin's version of it, that is really, really impressive. And especially this is is still, as you said at the very beginning, this is a very highly charged political battlefield that people are still fighting over and it is still very relevant to this day because of the point in the in the presidential debate that we're in so yeah i can see why he would be scared to take on this role but i can also imagine this will do him a lot of favors going forwards because it sounds like he doesn't disrespect Trump with his performance. He doesn't, but the performance does. Uh, look, I mean, I, I, I was watching going Trump wouldn't like this one little bit mm. um, because he doesn't, he, he, 
he makes he's playing Trump as a venile, corrupt gangster. Okay. Um, and I don't think that's anything to do with if if Trump were an intelligent and fair minded individual, he might look at that and go, Well, that's Brendan Gleason giving a wonderful performance as me mm. reading the bullshit that James Comey wrote about me. Mm. He could separate the fact that he's playing the character that James Comey wrote, which he could say is a complete work of fiction created by James Comey and yeah. his, you know, his uh, want for revenge and, you know, uh, his hurt feelings because I fired him for being incompetent, right? That mm. you could, if you were a fair-minded individual, one one could maybe make that delineation, but he's not a fair-minded individual. Okay. Yeah. I was here we go. I never said that. That's bullshit. That's the unfair media, fake news, mm. you know, mm. uh, fake Hollywood, um, you know, and you know, this is, you know, from a, you know, butt fuck, you know, shithole country, you know, this actor who's a nobody loser. Mm. Yeah. You know, he adds. Go back to your potato fields. He'll, he'll say thing, that. Yeah. Like, I got yeah. the great, I got the best golf courses there. He's not allowed <laughs> on any of my golf courses. You know, uh, <laughs> so, you, you know, I, I don't think he would, um, I, I just imagine, I, I can't imagine any reason why a Trump fan would watch this mm. other than to. Get riled up. Get riled up to go. I'm going to watch. I'm going to hate watch something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I, I've hate watched stuff before. I hate watched. Um, we hate watched. Um, God's not dead. And one and two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I can see it's. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not above it. I guess, but it's a yeah. lot. This is a lot to sit through. Yeah. For um, for for you know, it, just hate watching, and it's pretty mm-hmm. high quality stuff. So um, it would be hard to make fun of, other than to go. What a mm. douche James Comey must be to have held a grudge like this for so long to write a mm. book and then make a TV series all about how, you know, um, it was mm. fiction he created about Trump. But as I said, but, uh, I, would be, I would be worried if I was someone like Cleason doing something like this and mm. making fun of Trump or, or doing something that doesn't make Trump look good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the flip side as well, doing something that does make Trump look good that's going to be, especially in Hollywood, as I say, a very generally democratic-led environment. I don't know who would fund it. Who would? Well, there'd be there'd be red state funders who would want that. He's, I mean, come on, his return to the fucking um, White House was a propaganda m- movie. It was a fucking like that epic movie trailer music of him just going inside and looking like he was going to fall over. He would, those he would, moments, but he would happily he would, make a propaganda movie. Well, all that try, but who, I mean, I guess it would star Kid Rock and James Woods because they're like the only two people in Hollywood, anywhere near Hollywood who I could think would, you know, star oh Kid Rock is Donald Trump. I would watch that. I would watch that. Um, I mean, as James Woods, like he must get like absolutely no work anymore. I'm just, I'm just thinking of you know, uh, Mr. Burns's autobiographical movie yeah, he makes. English Spielbergo. Your Spielbergo. Forty-seven takes, and that was the best one. Uh, <laughs> you're right. So, I mean, I it would, which studio would agree to do it? Because, like, if if a studio agreed to make a Trump propaganda film, mm. no one's working with him anymore. Like, no one's going to do their their next film because, like, none of the major stars, the vast majority of major stars are not fans. So mm. you'd be using a B-list uh, cast. You'd be, you know, it's like, the, like the inauguration. No A-list stars would play the inauguration. That's why I got three doors down. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, look, it's it's um, uh, look, it's it's hard to imagine a, a pro-Trump film coming out of Hollywood. Mm. So 
it's not maybe that's not fair, but them's the breaks, I guess. That's, um, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, he he'll just have to um, you know console himself with being the most powerful man in the world now and then potentially for another four years and um, yeah. arguably being a very rich man depending on who you listen to. <laughs> so, I, mean, I would say, like, if this is on in Australia, Bikami Rule premiered uh, is on Stan. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is legally available here in Australia. Uh, if you are, like me, a bit of a, a political a political nut and you enjoy mm-hmm. that kind of thing, I would say it's up there in quality with things like All the President's Men. Oh, um, okay. I, I, look, I, like I said at the start, it, it is. It has an agenda to push because of the source it comes from. Its source mm. material has an agenda um, that, that Trump is a crooked gangster, you know, um, and mm. that Comey made the decisions he had to make given the circumstances. Yada yada yada. Mm. Um, so, but at the same time, I, I find it thoroughly convincing. Um, you okay. know, uh, I don't understand what Comey had to benefit from from lying, right? I mean, I mm. guess selling millions of copies of a book, I suppose, um, that, you know, he's got a reputation as being, you know, he was a law, like the chief law enforcement, one of the chief law enforcement dudes in the entire country. Yeah. And just now all of a sudden you're going to become a really great fiction writer. Yeah. It's like, I'm now going to create career suicide and change change my life forever. In fantasy, his career was probably already over when he got fired. But, I mean, geez, I mean, he, he's hiding a talent here. If this is the fiction he can write. And I guess you kind of hear things over the last four years. He's like, Trump sacked a lot of people and they all come out and they all say, this is what the White House was like when I worked there. It was a crazy house. Then he did, he did things like this, that, and the other thing. And it's funny how they're all fucking consistent. And they yeah. all sort of tell us the same sort of thing about his character. And yeah. Comey's book and his TV show really are consistent with everything we've heard about the way he runs his uh, administration in the US over the last four years. Uh, um, so for me, it's all consistent with everything you hear about in, from insiders who've left. So, you know, um, I, I, it doesn't, it just makes sense to me that uh, it, it, it is the way everybody says it is. Um, uh, otherwise, they're all, they're all got a, a monthly uh, monthly Zoom catch up where they fucking cor- they get their story straight. I'm going to say this, you know. <laughs> it's just a WhatsApp group. So like uh, the ex president's men. <laughs> they all get their story straight before they get fired. And, you know, and then they all tell very similar things. That doesn't make any sense. So, look, I didn't want it to become an anti Trump rant because um, maybe you like him. And you know, good luck to you if you're one of our American listeners who enjoys his work. And good for you. You may well win, as I said, next month. But, um, McCamey Rule, uh, I think, will be one of those shows if he, when he's out of office, because mm. it is eventually, he will be out of office. And when he, his crimes truly come to light, mm-hmm. I think this is going to be one of those things we look back on and go, well, they called it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nice. Well, I went completely the opposite direction to you. I do, I do not play in the political pools. I, uh, purposefully do not vote because I think the system is broken. But I decided to follow on the scary route of Charles Play Laid Down. And um, I watched the this year's Invisible Man by... Oh, this is supposed to be very good. This is um, a James Wan film, is it? No, no. This is... Um, it's a, a Bloomhouse production. So the 
the production company that makes all of the Saw movies and um, he they've been responsible for M. Night Shyamalan's most recent ah, movies. Lee Winnell, the other guy who created Saw. Yes. Yes. So he's, the, he's from Melbourne, in fact. Yeah. So he's the other guy who um, is very – he's now really making a name for himself separated from James Wan. Um, a lot of people, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but a lot of people really rate his movie from 2018 upgrade. I saw um, it shot here in Melbourne and it was very good. Mm, yeah. Now so he's a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. So it's apparently as evidently a talented fella. Um, he is because of the success of the invisible man, he has been, uh, drafted in to do a Ryan Gosling starring remake of the wolf man as well. After the terrible Benicio del Toro one that came out a few years ago is actually a really good, what the fuck happened, um, episode on uh, joeblow.com and about- hello out there to all our joe blow listeners yes do hello joe do a show on child's play yeah <laughs> but this is um the the modern take of the invisible man starring elizabeth moss um and this is great this is legitimately great um it's does so many of the things that a, a modern horror movie generally refuses to do for example it explains the invisible man visually rather than there is a a very simple line that um elizabeth moss says that is a throwaway line saying he's a leader in optical um uh optical something or uh, a leader in optics in the optics industry or something like that so there's that level of oh this guy's really smart and he could potentially make himself invisible but they don't bother spending time elaborating on how he does it or anything they show it which is the best thing to do in any movie if you can show it show it <laughs> don't tell it in so don't tell us the old uh, the old adage yeah and uh, no need for exposition and much like child's play it starts kind of midstream because um elizabeth musk musk's character cecilia cass she um wakes up in the middle of the night and she's sneaking around uh the house and she is whirling she like checks the water that's beside um adrian griffin her her lover the, the eponymous invisible man um and it looks it becomes evident that you know she's moving cameras so that she can keep an eye on him with um cctv on her phone <clears throat> she is trying to escape him and she has evidently drugged him as she's going around you see little bits and pieces like she goes down into his study where you see a lot of his technological stuff it's a little bit like going down into tony stark's workstation in his malibu home um but not as flamboyant it's very simple very clean a very sterile kind of environment and she walks past this um thing that looks like one of those quintessential standards for a for a superman suit or something like that but there's nothing in it and she just looks at it and keeps going um she then manages to get herself out of this big complex because he's very clearly very rich. It's a very flamboyant lifestyle that this guy has. It's a beautiful house, high-level security, and she escapes, and her sister, um, played by Harriet Dyer, 
who's really good in this as well, they escape. And um, Adrian manages to catch up to her and just smashes in. And he, uh, the last thing you see is him picking up a bo- uh, a little little thing of tablets. Turns out to be diazepam tablets that later on you find out Cecilia used to drug him, to, send, to keep him asleep and passive. Cuts to a couple of weeks later and they find out that apparently Adrian committed suicide and left her $5 million that is paid out incrementally of $100,000. And she's been staying with a friend and she is really happy, but she's very much suffering kind of PTSD. She's finding it difficult to go out out of the house. She's very paranoid and, and just... Her nerves are frayed, and Elizabeth Moss plays that fantastically. She is a broken woman on the slow road to recovery when she finds out that this guy that has terrorized her so many ways that gets slowly eked out through the story, she's coming back to some level of normality. That's when shit starts going weird. Like start, she starts hearing things around the house and um, in a bit from the trailer, she goes outside because she hears something and it's the cold dragon's breath of her. And then a few paces just behind her, there's just dragon's breath of someone else just looking over her shoulder. And it's terrifying. She doesn't see it. She moves inside. Um, there's a brilliant bit where um, so, so many things are, are kind of played. Oh, that's the expectation of... We've all seen a version of the Invisible Man, and it's like, oh, it's a handprint or footprint um, on something or other, and it's done so subtly, and it's just more than anything. The character of the Invisible Man is done by void space. It's tracking shot down a a corridor, Um, and one of the best moments of the of the movie for that tense element. She wakes up. because the the covers have been pulled off of the the bed and it's creepy they're not kind of pulled off to one side or another they're pulled down to the feet and off the bed she wakes up she gets out of bed she looks over the side to see if um it's fallen on the other side it's not it's down the bed she seems suspicious of it because it's a weird way for the cover to fall and then she looks over and there's a chair and it's got slight indentation in the um cushion she's looking at it and she's paranoid and even me i was looking at it going oh is he sitting there is he sitting there and she just did what i told her to do in my head it's like throw the fucking sheet and she throws the sheet over it and it just falls and there's nothing there and she's sort of like oh fuck okay okay she throw it you know passes lets it pass but then as she grabs the blanket she tries to pull it it doesn't move and it's just there and then it's the camera it goes down her hand follows the blanket and you just see it resting on the floor and varies ever so slightly you see the outline of toes and it's like oh that's so much better that's awesome and she's pulling and pulling and pulling and then you see the toes start bringing the blanket down as it's moving towards her it is brilliantly terrifying um and it just keeps on ramping up and up and up and um Basically, she gets framed for um, for murder, and it just her world crumbles around her. I'm not going to spoil the end because it is overall a very good end, particularly the spin on the spin. 
Um, but I highly recommend people to watch this because this is how you do a modern horror movie. This is a great interpretation of a classic, classic monster, monster creature of cinema gold. This is what, this is the type of, um, storytelling that is missing from modern monster movies they you get a lot of things like the host we talked about um because i watched parasite that was a fantastic monster movie but this human that has turned into a monster or is struggling with that monstrosity element they always forget that human element and this plays that as the terrifying piece just the fact that you literally can't see them just adds to it it's this is psychological horror at its best it's phenomenal really it has great rating so 7.1 on imdb mm. and a 72 meta score uh how did you watch this uh i watched this uh i rented it on youtube i, I think it's um it's available all over the place digitally speaking so mm-hmm. um support your local australian filmmakers if you're an aussie mm. Uh, Lee Winnell, I'm also for a while now has been attached to Escape from New York remake. Mm-hmm. I'm desperately curious to see if it's ever made. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I want to see that, but <laughs> I've heard nothing but good films about things about this film. So mm. I guess the question is, I think it's a stupid question, but I assume this is not part of the uh, universal dark universe. The dark universe is dead, I think. Um, the, because it was going to be like they had Tom Cruise in The Mummy, which is not a terrible movie, but it's not great. It's certainly not scary. And they had uh, Russell Crowe in that as um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and he's quite an interesting character in that, but they're not going to do anything with that. They had, uh, I think they were at one point going to have Johnny Depp as an invisible man. Um, they had i think it was javier bardem was going to be a new wolf man um and a lot of stuff and there was a point when the ill-fated wolf man with benicio del toro was supposed to be somehow part of it but that seems to have all been scrapped and this invisible man seems to have spawned a new version of it hence why um lee has been brought on to do this ryan gosling starring wolfman version um Ryan Gosling, fantastic actor with a good quality writer and director attached. My hopes are relatively high, but, you know, um, originally the Wolfman was supposed to be Mark Romanek, who's a great director with Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins and Hugo Weaving involved. That's a lot of talent there. Fell apart, had a lot of troubles. I'll... Wait to pass judgment. Ten years since that film came out. I know it's weird. Time is going so damn fast, but I, I don't think that we are ever going to see the end of the rights holders are trying to make a dark universe sort of thing. Um, I think one of the problems that they've come across in their recent attempts is they've been trying to make these big tentpole movies about it, and. Blumhouse have specialized in making great quality movies on a low budget, which is forcing the production teams, the directors, the producers to work efficiently and go, okay, how can we get this as scary as possible with a low budget? It's not, oh, we'll fix that in post. It's what can we do to keep this under budget? Because that is always the Blumhouse goal. And I love it. I love that restriction. It's awesome. 
Yeah, they're doing very well for themselves on very low budgets. So yeah, going to make yeah. it popular. Absolutely. I mean, they're, because their movies are made on a low budget and they're generally specializing in these horror movies, they always kill it at Halloween this time of year. They make they don't need to make lots of money to become incredibly financially successful. So that's why we've got multiple Saw movies, why we've got multiple Insidious movies. And um, it's the one with um, Patrick Wilson in it. Uh paranormal one i can't remember annabelle uh the annabelle series or whatever um but yeah they're they they are made better because of the restrictions that they are put on and there's not that yeah we can just cgi it and that was one of the big failings of the wolfman um it was a lot of cgi and it was rick baker who got an oscar for the original wolf wolfman translate uh uh, transformations he got another one for this but the cgi wasn't as good as the puppet work we talked about child's play great puppet work great miniature work <clears throat> it's all about that less is more and there's no, there's nothing more less than something that's not there <laughs> Touché. <laughs> but yeah that's a ringing endorsement absolutely absolutely i really heartily enjoyed it um and now i'm slowly but surely working on more of a uh, a horror bend to to get my juices flowing because horror is good man when it's good horror horror is good (laughs) horror is rare though that is true that is true but yeah that is that's basically all that i've watched this week because i've been doing a lot of writing (laughs) um will we be getting um a sequel to the Invisible Man? No, from you. Oh, from me? Yeah, I'm working on a sequel, and I'm working on my first screenplay in a long time. Um, it's going to be a psychological horror inspired by the Invisible Man and inspired by the music of like Bram Stoker's Dracula, which not a great movie, but the music is awesome, especially the opening opening music is fantastic it starts off chilling and then you've got that kind of the chorus music and uh, it just builds and builds and builds it's awesome so hopefully i'll be able to make something that's scary <laughs> well good luck with that um uh I, I i am open for any and all roles <laughs> well there there's always roles for everyone but i need to actually finish this thing because it was so annoying after a day and a half of writing i stopped and i looked at it thought, something about this seems familiar so i did a bit of the google search and then i looked and i saw there was a movie that i kind of ended i've not seen this movie but i looked at the synopsis on wikipedia and said, Fuck! I've been writing that damn movie, <laughs> so I had to. No new idea anymore, huh? I had to completely restart, but I've got quite a cool, um, cool new idea of the story that I want to tell. So I'm working on it. I'm in no rush, though. <laughs> there you go. It's something to look forward to, ladies and gents. Yeah. All right, that is the show. I think for this week, ladies and gentlemen, we're nice, crisp, and short episodes at the moment. Getting frosty. Yeah, we're trying trying to be a little bit more respectful of your time. <laughs> um, next week, we are going to be watching The Nightmare Before Christmas because Travis is healing some wounds. Shall a we benevolent say? and kind co-host. 
<laughs> but when you turn, you turn nasty. Um, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Good night. Bye.